As we turn to God's Word now, we are looking to Genesis chapter 25. We are beginning a, a new series, and our, our series is looking at the, the life of Jacob. And today we're going to begin that by reading from uh, chapter 25. It's the very, the very beginning of, of Jacob's life. So it's Genesis chapter 25, and we'll begin to read at verse 19. And let's hear God's word. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he is also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And we pray that the Lord would add his blessing to his truth. Amen. In the church where I was an assistant minister a long time ago, there was a picture on the wall of the, the minister's room. I, I'm going to show uh, a copy of that picture now. Uh, that commemorated uh, a visit of Colonel James T. Irwin uh, to the congregation, uh, obviously quite some, quite some time ago. If you know anything about space missions, you'll probably know that he was the eighth man to walk on the moon. But as he would have told his life story, 
One event that sticks out in his memory is one evening, his mum trying to usher him to bed and him sort of hanging back and not being in any rush to get there and his mum dragging him. But what was he doing? He was staring up at the moon. And he always had, was always doing that. And then he said to his mum, and bearing in mind that this would have been well before it was even, anything was even likely or possible, he said to his mum, one day I'm going to walk up there. That was his dream. And that was his abiding passion. And he was fortunate enough to be able to fulfill what his lifelong ambition really was. As we look at this passage this morning, I'm going to try and draw out some threads, as it were. Each of these different threads may be summarized by one word, more specifically, uh, a verb. And the first one is just what James Irwin was doing, which is dreaming. And so I ask you this morning, what do you dream about? Now, I'm not going to be asking for any of your weird nighttime dreams where you, you think it's time to go to work in the morning and you're running out the front door and you're dressed in your pajamas, that sort of thing. So we're not worried about any of those weird things. Uh, you can share those stories afterwards, what you were dreaming about last night. But I'm thinking about your daytime longings. Things like where you'd rather be, what you'd rather be doing, or what you'd rather have. Things like that. And perhaps one of the worst aspects of social media is that you can scroll through reams of this stuff, but what you end up seeing are people doing some of those things. And, and that's why it really has a negative impact upon us, because you can see people who already have what you only long to have. You see people already there in the place that you would just love to go to. And probably for you, it's only a bit of a pipe dream. And you know that in reality, you'll probably never even get there. So by scrolling through social media, you see people doing the things that you want to do having the stuff that you want to have or going to the places that you want to go to. And so how does it feel then when you can see other people already living your dream? What's it like when they're already doing the stuff that you long to do? And then it leads on to another question, which is probably quite likely when you ask yourself the question, well, why them and not me? Why can they do this? Why can they have this? And I can't. And I think that's where Jacob is when we sort of stand back and look at his life because he would have been looking at his brother Esau. And he, Esau was evidently one of those ones for whom things just fell into his lap. So he was the firstborn, he, he had those privileges, he had those blessings, he had all those things and he took them for granted. And let's be honest this morning, I think that 
That troubles us. It's more, well, it more than troubles us, it probably really annoys us. Do you ever get really annoyed looking at other people? And your thought to yourself is that I have to work really hard for this. I have to struggle to have what I have. And yet this other person, it just falls in their lap. Everything just goes their way and it always seems sweet for them. And if that's how you might think at times, I think you're going to feel at home as we read through the book of Genesis and these chapters, thinking about Jacob over the next number of weeks. Jacob, his name literally meant striver, one who strives, or deceiver. There's, there's elements of, of all of that in there because Jacob was someone who knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted to get out of life and his understanding was is that if anything good is going to happen for me, I am the one who's going to have to make it happen. It's up to me. And that issue comes to light, as Ryan was speaking about it, about it earlier. The, the central verse, as it were, is verse 31. If you have your Bibles and you, you have that issue where he was asking for the birthright, he was offering some stew, and to make it clear, in verse 31, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. And the, all those verses, 29 through to 34, are basically around this idea that the firstborn son would get at least double what any other son was, was due to receive. But as well as that, he would receive a prayer, the prayer of blessing that the father would only put upon the firstborn son. And that was all coming to Esau. It wasn't coming to Jacob, and Jacob struggled with that. And Esau didn't really get fussed about it. He actually despised it in the end by giving it away for a bowl of stew. So it didn't mean much to him even. And so there's an element of fault with Esau certainly here. But this became Jacob's dream. And Jacob then began to manipulate, he began to plot, he began to think how he might scheme to achieve it. And what I sense in this passage is what comes out time and time again is the extent to which Jacob would go to efforts to achieve what he needed to achieve rather than waiting for God to give him what God was going to offer to give him. And if I'm moving on with the second thread and thinking about this, it's the word waiting. Because what Jacob ultimately needed to do was to wait for God's time. But he wasn't prepared to wait. And waiting is not easy. And this would have been something that came time and time again through his family tree. If we go back two generations, we start with Abraham. Now, you remember the story of Abraham. That's in Genesis chapter 12. And God made a promise to Abram, as he was then called. And he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're, you're going to be a father of many people. But for you to, to 
receive this, you're going to have to leave the place where you're now comfortable. You're going to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and you're going to move and you're going to have to follow my leading. And so Abram and Sarah leave. But still they didn't have the child of blessing. It didn't seem to come easily, even though they had left and they had moved and they were following God. And it got to the extent that actually Sarah said to her, her husband, Abram, look, this isn't working. Uh, it's not going to happen. We're going to have to do something about this. And so she says to her husband, here's my maidservant, Hagar. Have a child with her. And maybe this can be the child of blessing. But that only ended up in chaos, as things always do when we take things into our own hands rather than relying on God. And so Ishmael was born. And so that resulted in chaos. Eventually, the child of blessing came for Abram, and that was Jacob's father, Isaac. But things weren't easy for Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, either, because you see that in verse 21. It says that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Now, it wasn't straightforward because she thought that she was going to lose this pregnancy. Verse 22, the babies jostled within her, and she says, why is this happening to me? And the sense of that is that she really thought she was going to lose this pregnancy. So what she does is, she, is that she goes to inquire of the Lord. So what we, we have now with Rebecca is that she believes in God. She has learned to trust God through her husband, Isaac. They're waiting for this child of, of blessing, which they have been waiting for. And it now gets to this point where they think they're going to lose the child even before the child is born. And she questions, why is this happening to me? Because waiting for something is not easy which makes us ask these questions. Do we ever ask the same question of God? Why is this happening to me? Because this waiting until something that we're wanting is, is due to come, which we believe is right, but it's really very hard to wait. Why, if I have this promise from God, why is it not happening? Because it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. So maybe you've even said to the Lord, look God, in good faith, I have followed you. I've done what I could. I've tried what I, I, I needed to, to try. I've tried to be honouring to you, but still this doesn't look like it's, it's happening and I don't understand it. Why am I in the middle of this trial where everything seems to be going wrong? Or if at some point in my life, in your life, you have made a decision, and again, you are firmly convinced that this was the right thing. You believe it was the God-honoring, correct path to move, and yet now it seems that everything's going wrong, and you wonder to yourself, why is this happening? Now, it's not that you doubt that God has the power to fix it, because you, you probably believe, probably believe, that God has the power to do anything in your life. But what you doubt is that God will reveal his creative power in your life right now. So that's Jacob's experience. And yet, 
Even during the waiting, he had examples in his grandfather's life, in his father's life, and yet still he didn't learn those lessons which were coming from him, that he had to wait and he had to trust in what God was doing. And I think even that sense of striving that I'm going to have to, to fix this comes out in verse 26. This is his sense of, of striving right from his, his very birth. It says, after Esau was born, after this, his brother came out and his hand grasping Esau's heel. And that's why he was named Jacob. So what? There's maybe another thread in Jacob's life is maybe described by that verb because he was always striving to fix things himself because he had this belief, if, I'm going to make, if this is going to work, I'm the one that's going to have to fix it. So let's consider all of us here. I think all of us have dreams, things we want to happen, we want to be respected, we want to be loved, we want to be happy, we want things to work out well or easy for us. And we also know that we only have one stab at this life. And so if it's going to work out, I'm the one that's going to have to make sure it works out. So I'm gonna to have to step in and I'm gonna to have to make sure that things go the way that they should. So in work, you spend all your life striving, trying to gain the blessing of someone who's a little bit more senior than you, so that you will hopefully hear that person saying, you know, that was really good what you did. So you spend all that effort, all that time responding to all those emails, going to meetings that don't last or, don't, or last endlessly, but don't seem to have very much purpose with the sole aim that someone will give you their valediction and say that that was really good and that you deserve that and that through what they're saying, think that you're a great person. And I think even for the Christian, if you're a Christian today, believer, following Jesus, maybe there's even another layer of anxiety. And that other layer of anxiety comes from the fact that you believe that God does want to bless you. And it's like you've got that promise of God ringing in your ear that God wants to bless you, but still you feel for God really to bless you, you need to do everything perfectly. And so you've got to keep all these plates spinning, you've got to do everything, you've got to put the effort in, and you hope that by doing all these things and, and worrying and being anxious over all these things, that what God is going to do is that God is going to look at that and God's going to be impressed by that and that God is going to bless you because of the things that you're doing. And so you think that if I can twist and push and manipulate, I'll make it happen and I'll make the blessing of God come. And so we are people who are used to fixing things. And I think you are people you, all of you, are people just like Jacob who like to fix things and make things happen. And I'm not saying that unkindly because, I mean, I'm just the same, which in many ways makes me the ideal minister to minister to people like you. Jacob's out there. 
So when you think about your dreams and what you want to happen, today, what do you believe is God's blessing for you? What's your God-given dream today? So think about that. We're all very different. But what is it that if, if it came into your life, you would feel this is God's blessing? It might be a family. It might be a new career. It might be a house. It might be something that you could have. It might be a, a marriage partner. It, it could be making something disappear. It could be making an illness go. It could be making someone go. It could be a, a release from financial worries. So the question when we think about striving is that what are you actually doing to try and manipulate things to make things happen so that you get this blessing rather than doing the thing that perhaps we should learn from this passage, which is simply believing. Because that's the ultimate lesson out of all of this for Jacob and others to learn is that what we really need to do is to trust in God's plan, to trust in God's purpose, and that where we need to be is to be at the center of what God is doing in our life and in our situation. And part and parcel of that is becoming the person that God wants you to be. Some of us, most of us here have been following Jesus for, for years and years and years. And we know what Jesus has done for us. And, and others of us here are maybe only recently coming into that experience whereby it's suddenly beginning to fit into place where you've understood what the cross is about and you've understood how Jesus died and Jesus offers forgiveness and Jesus offers that fresh start and you can start completely over again and what Jesus can do miraculously in your life. And if you need to know more about that, I'm, I'm more than happy to help you think about that. But either way, whether you have been thinking or following God for years, or whether it's only a much more recent thing for you, we still have the desire to strive rather than simply trust God and trust God's purposes. At the very outset of this service, that I had no idea Robert was going to talk about this, or even looking at the song that he had chosen about being a child of God, and believing that you are a child of God. That's significant because that's where this all begins. Understanding who you actually are. And if you are a child of God, that that changes everything. I'm going to go back to a Disney movie. The Lion King. The younger ones will undoubtedly know that. And in the story of the Lion King, you've got that little cub, Simba, who thinks he caused his dad's death. And because of that, he runs away. Even though he was due to be the next king, even though he was the son of a king, he refuses to acknowledge it. He runs away from responsibility and he just drifts until one day he meets a wise old monkey called Rafiki. And Rafiki tells him, you've got to know who you are. And so he brings him to a lake and he looks at the still water and he says, look at your reflection in there and tell me what you see. And as Simba looks into that lake, suddenly 
he gets a new sense because he sees that his appearance has changed. And what he sees is an image of his father. And in that moment, he realizes who he is, that he is the son of a king. And for us, realizing who we are is that in Christ, we are the son of a king. We are the son of God himself because of what Jesus has done to bring us into the family. And our task, recognizing that, is that we believe and we trust. Even when it's hard, and even when we feel like striving, and it's really difficult, what we do is that we trust in God's purposes and God's plans for our lives, because that is what counts. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, as we wait upon you, recognizing it can be really hard and we really are struggling. And in the midst of the chaos, we reach out to you that you might minister to us. Lord, help us to see who we are and that we do not crave the blessing of other men and women or what other people think about us, but Lord, it is who we are in your eyes that we are children of the King. And so we have power to rest and trust in you even while we have to wait. So Lord, help us to trust and help us to lean on you. Amen.